Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud shouts of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves, Selah. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. That's Psalm 47, which along with Psalm 48 are the psalms appointed for today, Tuesday, September the 6th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We're continuing our look at the book of Job. Today we're in chapter 29, verses 1 to 20, which is actually backwards from where we were yesterday in in, um, chapters 32 and 33 with Elihu's response. So we've moved back in time a little bit to pick up more of Job's response here. And then we're also in the gospel according to John, chapter 10, verses 31 to 42. And then in uh, the book of the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 14, 1 to 18. So again, Job stood, took up his discourse and said, Oh, that I were as as in the months of old, as in the days when God watched over me. So in other words, those halcyon days have long gone by now before all this befell me. When his lamp shone upon my head and by his light I walked through darkness as I was in my prime, when the friendship of God was upon my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were all around me, when my steps were washed with butter and the rock poured out for me streams of oil. Man, I wish it was because it was in those good old days. And those good old days for Job really were good old days. It's not just in his memory that they were. No, he had the blessing of God on everything that he did. He was one of the wealthiest men in the East. And so he was a guy that, that had everything. And now here he is through no fault of his own with none of the above. He's lost every single thing and his health. And it's just miserable. And who, who could blame him for wanting to go back to that period of time? Now, it's different if you've enjoyed success over a short period of time and lost it than if you had had it over a long period of time. I can remember years ago now being in a restaurant and listening to a couple of people. It was a man and his son, actually, and their, their wives were there, too. But, but they were talking about how they were going to recover from what had happened to them. And, and I knew them, actually. I knew who they were. Um, they were customers of the bank. And so I knew something about their situation. And what had happened was is that they had come across an idea and a product, and that product became a huge fad. And they sold so many of these things, it was absolutely unbelievable. And I'm not going to tell you what it is because you could look it up and figure out who I'm talking about. But, but they had sold a ton of merchandise and made a fortune in a very short period of time. But the fad didn't last, and it was always going to be a fad. You know, it's it's an article of clothing, so it was always going to be a fad. But they it, but they doubled down and believed that this was going to last forever, and so their investment was forever. And they were having this kind of conversation, you know, the good old days. Well, those good old days didn't last all that long, but they were really good when they were. And so you you can easily see the desire to go back to the good old days. But sometimes the problem is that, that, that the good old days keep us from moving into God's preferred future for us. So we can't let that stuff stand in the way of being able to move forward. 
When I went out at the gate of the city, when I prepared my seat in the square, the young men saw me and withdrew, and the aged stood, rose and stood. The princes refrained from talking and laid their hand on, my ma- on their mouth. The voice of the nobles was hushed, and their tongue stuck to the roof of their mouth. I got a lot of respect, too. I didn't just have all those things because I had all those things and because that showed the presence of God and the blessing of God, then I got respect from everybody. Didn't matter who they were, young, old, princes, rulers, didn't matter. Didn't matter. When I showed up, everything stopped. When the ear heard, it called me blessed. And when the eye saw, it approved. Because I delivered the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to help him. I didn't just enjoy the fruit of my labor. I didn't just, you know, accumulate wealth. I used it to help other people. The blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I mean, Job is uh, certainly exalting himself and justifying himself here. Now, and God never took issue with that. Not once in God's speech, not once anywhere along the way does God say, that's all lies, Job. He never says that. So uh, we have to believe that Job was indeed this because God said nobody on earth compares to this man. He said, I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. And I searched out the cause of him who I didn't know. So it wasn't just the people that I knew. Uh, I wanted to bring justice in every single case. I broke the fangs of the unrighteous and made him drop his prey from his teeth. Then I thought, I shall die in my nest, and I shall multiply my days as the sand. My roots spread out to the waters with the dew all night on my branches. My glory fresh with me and my bow ever new in my hand. He he said, man, I I thought those days were never going to end. I mean, you can hear that song, right? Those were the days, my friend, I thought they'd never end. <clears throat> and that's exactly what, what he's saying. It's exactly what he's saying. He said, man, everything was right in my world. And I was doing everything I could do to make it right in everybody's world. I didn't, I didn't just live selfishly and self-absorbed. No. I did things for people. I sought justice actively, worked for justice. No. I was not that guy. No, I was righteous, and everything about my life proved that God thought that I was righteous. Now, I don't have an explanation for what's going on. Your problem is, that was what you thought the explanation was to start with, that all that was evidence of God's blessing in your life and that you were a righteous man. Now, it is evidence of God's blessing, absolutely, but it doesn't mean we're protected from all harm. It doesn't mean, oh, if I'm in him, then I'll be a wealthy guy and I'll be, have all this stuff. No, it doesn't mean that at all. Job's problem is, is that, that he saw that as evidence of this. And if you see evidence of that being true, then you're seeing evidence in other people's circumstances, well, that they're just not as good as you. And if they were, Got to be blessing him like he's blessing you. That's got to be corrected. While you may never have said that, there was, there's a part of you that that theology is going to absolutely destroy ultimately and cause you to believe bad things about other people who are going through difficulty. <clears throat> In the gospel, it says the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. I mean, he just said, I and the Father are one. You know, so you can see why they pick up stones to stone him. That's blasphemy at the highest level, except for, well, it's true. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? 
The Jews answered, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. And Jesus answered them, isn't it written in your law, I said you're God's? Was that in the law? Actually, no, it's not. It's, it's in Psalm 82. And who I believe that he's talking about, and this may be controversial for some people, but, but if, if you struggle with it, go listen to Michael Heiser talk about Psalm 82. That's, that's where I get this. There, the, the argument that a lot of people make is, is that, he, that he's speaking of earthly rulers, that they're like gods to the people that, who are under them. And, and, I, and I'm with Heiser. I don't believe that. I believe he's speaking of these some of these angelic beings that Elihu exalted yesterday, the, the ones who in um, Genesis 11 at the time of Babel, the, that when God gave the nations to these others to oversee. And, and the, the reason that Satan believes he has all earthly kingdoms under his authority. No, I don't believe these, these gods that are being referred to there, I don't believe those are rulers any more than I believe that, that in Genesis 6 that the sons of God are earthly rulers and tall people. I, I don't buy that. I, I think there's a lot more going on than that. And I think these are angelic entities that have been given over, rule over um, nations and territories. And so when we go into all the world and proclaim the kingdom of God, then we're proclaiming it against a kingdom that already exists there, and I don't mean an earthly kingdom. And so when Jesus says this, he says, isn't it written in your law, I said you're gods, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture can't be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you're blaspheming, because I said I'm the Son of God. And so what he's saying is, is that that in your own scripture, you know that God refers to uh, other beings as gods. If that's true, and you know it is, because it's right there, it's plain, then why are you getting upset because I said I'm the Son of God? And why are you calling me a blasphemer? If he said you are gods, why are you calling me a blasphemer when I say I'm the Son of God? If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father. So Jesus himself points to the works that he's done. And this is the reason that I continue to say that, that we, the church, should be doing these works. We should expect great things to happen in our midst. We should expect the proclamation of the word to be accompanied by acts of power. Again, they sought to arrest him, and he, but he escaped their hands. He went away across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. So the reason that it's important that, that John have done a sign in this logic right here is, is that... Um, that a prophet would do a sign to authenticate the words. And they're saying John didn't do any signs, but everything he said is nonetheless true. So there's no authentication from a sign or a miracle or a wonder, but it's all authenticated, not by John's signs, but by Jesus' signs. And that, that's important because we need to remember that. We need to always never be afraid to talk about the signs Jesus did in spite of the fact that the, the quote, scientific world, the enlightened world of today, denies those things existed. As I've told you about William Barclay, he'll say, yeah, and then I heard somebody talk about leprosy one time and said, well, it's really acne. Hmm, really? Hmm. 
they didn't know about acne back then, huh? Um, no, it's it's leprosy. It's <laughs> it's a very specific disease that Jesus healed of. But people want to diminish or explain away any kind of miraculous thing when actually the church that embraces those miraculous signs, those those incredible things, and, and believes that God's in their midst by the power of the Holy Spirit and prepared to do those things today, those are the churches that bless God, and those are the churches God blesses because they believe in the full counsel of God. And so when they say John didn't do a sign, but everything John said about this man was true, they're, they're saying even though John didn't do any great sign, this, this words of Jesus and his works authenticate John's message. Both those things together, Jesus' words and his works, authenticate John's message. So John didn't do any signs, but Jesus' signs prove that what John said is true. And it's important to have both the word and the works. And then it says, and many believed in him there. So it, it, it authenticated him. The words that he was saying about, I'm the good shepherd, those are authenticated by the works that he did, by the healing of the man at the pool at Bethesda, at the feeding of the 5,000, at the, even the, the uh, work that turned water into water at Canaan and Galilee. But there's so much that Jesus does. And John says, look, I didn't give you all the signs. I just gave you these few so that, believe me, you would have you would have enough information to form the basis to believe in the name of Jesus. And if you do that, he says, then, then that's enough. And I believe these few signs that I've given you are enough because you've also got the synoptic gospels that detail other things. But John writes his gospel specifically so that they would believe, his readers would, and by believing they would have life in the name of Jesus, who is the author of life. So the, the works and the signs John thought were truly important to the proclamation of the gospel because they authenticate the one who proclaims it. In the uh, Acts lesson, we see the same thing, but we see it at work in a very different sort of a way, a, a mistaken way. So at Iconium, they gathered together into the Jewish synagogue. Remember, they'd been run out of Pisidian Antioch because the Jews were jealous, and they roused the women of high standing and the leaders of the people against them, and so they ran them out of town. So now they've come to Iconium, and they go into the Jewish synagogue again. Even though Paul has just said, we're going to the Gentiles, he goes to the synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. And remember, who are these Greeks? They're the ones who are investigating Judaism, who have decided that there's some truth there, and they want to hear more and know more, but they haven't converted. So those are the Greeks that, are, that come to believe here because they're in the synagogue. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brothers. So they, Paul and Barnabas, remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So they're authenticating the power of God behind the message of his Son by signs and wonders, again. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, they learned of it. This is the second time Paul's about to be stoned and learns of it. And they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So not going to be stoned here. Nope. Going to get out here and go to Lystra and Derby and the surrounding country around there and going to proclaim the gospel. The one thing Paul does consistently is proclaim the gospel wherever he goes. We need to be more like Paul. Now, at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth, and he'd never walked. Again, we've got somebody crippled from birth, so he's never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, 
And Paul, looking intently at him, which is exactly what Peter did with the man at the beautiful gate, <clears throat> looking intently at him and seeing he had faith to be made well. Man, if I could have one gift, it would be to be able to see somebody's faith. And this guy's had faith that he could be made well, and he said in a loud voice, Paul did, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. This is a man who had never walked. And so we know that, that this is the thing, is, is that how could you possibly stand and walk, much less spring up, when you'd never used your legs before for walking? You know, people who have strokes and stuff spend months and months and months rehabbing, learning to walk again. This guy, who's never walked, springs up and begins to walk. Amazing. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. It seems now that Paul and Barnabas didn't understand initially what's being said and done here, because it's spoken in the Lyconian language. And so they, they begin to say, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Well, what in the world are these lunatics talking about? Let me tell you. <laughs> it's going to take a minute, but I'll tell you exactly what they're talking about. So at the time, Ovid, who is one of the three great Latin poets of all time, um, along with um, Horace and, um, well, I'm losing my mind. Um, well, I'm losing my mind. I can't remember who the other one is at the moment. Anyway, they have a story, or Ovid had a story. Now, Ovid died in about 8, BC, 8 AD. Sorry. So he would have been around I mean, roughly in, in the living memory of these people where he wrote a piece of mythology that, that was unique to Ovid. And, and what that mythology was, was is that there were gods that came down, and those gods happened to be Zeus and Hermes. And the corollary to the statement, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men, is Barnabas they call Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. So the, the, the myth is that they came down to earth, and like at um, Sodom and Gomorrah, there was no welcome there. But they did find this couple. They finally come to Balkis and Philemon in their little rustic cottage. They came there, and they invited them in, and they provided food for them. And one of the things that happened was they kept get drinking wine, and even though Balkis had filled those cups many times, the pitcher was still full. Sort of like in, well, The Bishop's Wife, the movie from back in the 40s with Cary Grant in it, where they keep pouring wine, the professor keeps pouring wine, and he keeps filling it up on his own so it never runs out. So then, when she sees this, she realizes they're gods. They beg for forgiveness, and, and please, we gave you the simplest possible stuff. Philemon wants to go and catch and kill a goose to give, and the goose runs away, lands in Zeus's lap, and Zeus is holding it and says, don't worry about it, we don't need this. And so then they, well, call down fire from heaven, and the city is destroyed. And sort of like, well, Sodom and Gomorrah, which was written thousands of years before. So <clears throat> they destroyed the town. They went up onto a mountain with him and Hermes, Zeus and Hermes, and told were not to look back until they reached the top. Again, sounds like Lot's wife, right? So they get up there, and then all of a sudden, everything is destroyed, but not by fire, by flood. And that Zeus had turned their cottage into an ornate temple. So what they requested was, can we be guardians of the temple? So the answer is, yeah, that'd be great for you guys to be guardians of the temple. You're suddenly truly important after being a poor couple before. So you're, you're guardians of the temple. They said, okay, can we get a second wish, too? 
Yeah, sure. What's that? He said, so when one of us dies, the other would like to die at the same time because we don't want to be without one another. And so they were changed into an intertwining pair of trees, an oak and a linden, standing in the boggy terrain. Well, that happened. That story is set exactly where these people are. So they see what happens here, and they come to the conclusion these people are gods, and the proof is they healed a guy. And so they immediately, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowd. But when the apostles heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. In other words, get rid of these silly myths that are obviously ruling your lives because you're acting in fear now of the gods because of that mythology. No, 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 no. That's not what's happening here. We bring in something greater than that. Those gods are just whatevers. They're myths. We all know those are myths, right? He says, but we're like men. We're just like you. There's nothing different. We're just telling you that these are vain things, but there is a living God that you should turn to. He made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, and that is worshiping and serving the territorial gods that go back to Babel. So he says, in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he didn't leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness, which is exactly his uh, argument in Romans 1. And that is, no, 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 the heavens declare his glory. And the earth, the handiwork of God. So, no, 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 you're, you're not without witness, and therefore you're guilty. Because you had enough witness to know that there was evidence of a God who is not crazy like those gods, like the gods you worship. The world's crazy. I know that. I get that. But, but our story tells a different story, and that story is that we're the ones who made it crazy, and we're the ones who made it unpredictable. God overcomes all that, and he's able to do that. And the proof is what you just saw, the healing of this man born crippled. That's evidence of God's love. It's the opposite of your story of mythology, which God comes down and judges and destroys the people. He said, even with these words, they scarcely retrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. When God shows up, when God does great things, when he does miracles like this, then, then the result is that people do give glory to God in all things. We just have to make sure they're giving glory to the right God.